Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Fornicators, adulterers, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Well, I'm Pastor Ben, and it is my, my honor and my challenge this morning to share God's truth with you. But before we dive in, before we get there, I have to ask you a question, a very important question as we continue this conversation, and it's this. Who in your life is for you? Who is for you? Now, I want you to think about this. Who is the person in your life who would never leave you, even if they knew everything about you, right? Who is the person, if they knew your past and your present, if they knew about all your addictions and all your failures and all the secret things in your life, who is the person in your life that that is so for you that you could be 100% transparent with them and they would stick it out with you, right? They would, they would still be your friend. They would still be your spouse. They They would still be with you no matter what. Who is for you? Now, let me ask you a a slightly different way. Who is the person or or who are the people in your life that can give you an honest critique? An honest critique, right? They They can maybe offer you an honest criticism or a statement of truth about your, your work life or home life or other things that maybe you've said. Who are the people that you know have your best interest in mind? They love you so much. They're for you so much that you trust them to even jab and poke at some of the most sensitive areas of your life. Who is for you? Now, when I asked that question, and as I clarified what I was asking of you, you're probably thinking right now, I don't know if I have a lot of people like that. In fact, maybe you're thinking, I don't really have anyone like that. Because if I was open and honest about who I am or who I was, my past or, or what's currently going on in the dark places of my life, if, if I was honest about that with people, I think most people would head for the door. Most people would walk away. Most people would unfollow me. I mean, there wouldn't be anyone left because I don't have anyone in my life who's for me like that. Or maybe you're thinking when we talked about this idea of, of, of taking an honest assessment of our life through the eyes of somebody else. You thought, there's no one in my life that I trust enough to do that. There's, there's no one in my life who I, I trust to look at me and say something to me that, that they see because I'm always under the impression that they're not actually for me. So what they're saying has a different intent, right? They're, they're trying to damage me or, or hurt me 
or they're trying to push me down so they can move themselves up. So they're not really for me. So I don't have anyone like that in my life. I don't have people in my life who are truly, truly, truly for me. Well, today we're going to continue our sermon series called Infinite God and Finite Man. And this is actually the last conversation we're going to have about this. And for some of you, uh, you're incredibly excited that this is the end because this has been this has been an incredibly challenging sermon series, and we have uh, dove into hard sections of scripture, difficult passages of the Bible, difficult teachings from God, confusing teachings of God. But that's what this has all been about: diving into the infinite love and infinite truth of God, even if we don't fully understand it, even if we don't fully agree with it. And today we're not going to change. We're not going to change our course. We're not going to shy away from God's truth. We're going to look at all of God's truth. We're not going to skip over anything, even if it would be convenient. And to be honest today, if if I was going to skip over a section of scripture, if I was going to shy away from, from any conversation that we would ever have, this would be the one. And this would be the one because for many of us, it hits so close to home. It points at our past or our present. It points at our our friends and family, and it's a a challenging section of scripture to tackle. But before we, we dive into that challenge, I think it's really, really, really important to understand three important truths before we approach any of God's word, especially the challenging sections. And the first one is this. God is for you. God is for you. God loves you. In fact, the first conversation that we had in the sermon series, we actually dove into a section of the New Testament called 2 Timothy. And we looked at the third chapter and we engaged with the conversation between Timothy, a young pastor, and his mentor, the Apostle Paul. And Paul said some, some very, very significant words to Timothy. Some very important words that have now come to us. Truth that has come to us. And this is what he said. He said, all scripture is God-breathed. What he was saying was that the Bible, your Bible that you got when you're in third grade or fifth grade, the one that's sitting in front of you in your pew, God's word is, is for you and spoken from him. It's God's eternal truth. And Paul goes on and says, this scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly built up. So we get this this strong idea, this strong truth that God's word and God's truth and God himself is for you. So his word is for you, not to destroy you, but to build you up. So the first thing you, you have to hold on to whenever we encounter any piece of scripture is that God is for you. Now, the second thing I need you to know is the Apostle Paul, who wrote the books of Corinthians, he is for you. And this is important because we're going to dive into his writing today. The writing that was inspired by God, God's Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write this to this church. And once again, we receive that truth today. And you need to know that Paul is for you. Now, why can I so confidently say that Paul is for you? Because I I look at at Paul's life. You see, Paul, before his conversion, Paul was an an elite Jewish leader. 
The Bible calls him the Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he was of unbelievably high stature. He was a up-and-comer, and in some ways he had arrived. He was respected and wise. He had all this prestige. That's who Paul was. But on a, a road to Damascus one day, he encounters the risen Christ. And he has this conversation, and he, and he knows that Christ is speaking to him through the eyes of love. He understands that Christ is for him. So when Jesus offers Paul this critique that, hey, Paul, you're going in the wrong direction in life. What you think is true is false. And what you think is false is true. And in that moment, Paul has a a radical transformation. And he becomes one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest Christians the world has ever seen. He ends, ends up going writing a majority of the New Testament for us. And he sacrifices everything that he's built up in his life to go do missionary work. And not only did he do missionary work, but he actually worked on the side to pay for all of his missionary work. He didn't get any support. That's who Paul was. He was for the people that he sacrificed everything and worked hard day in and day out for the people. And in return, this is what he got. He got beaten up. He got imprisoned. He got mocked. And ultimately, he was killed for speaking the truth to people because he loved them too much to stay quiet. Now, here's the third thing I need you to know before we we dive in, is that I am for you. I am for you. I am for your son. I am for your daughter. I am for your neighbor. I am for you. I am for you. See, here's the truth. If, If I wasn't for you, we wouldn't have conversations like this. If I wasn't for you, I wouldn't challenge you. If I wasn't for you, to be honest, I'd probably move to a different area of the world, maybe a place a little bit more tropical or warm during the winter, right? I would go to a church that would pay me a little bit more, that I could afford to work uh, quite a bit less. And then I would, what I'd do is I would just uh, go through the lectionary, right? For three years, I'd just teach the same cute stories to you over and over and over again. I'd avoid all the challenging topics of scripture, all the things that would be controversial or challenging, and I would just try to pacify you. That's, that's what I would do if I, was, if I wasn't for you. In fact, as I, I said that word pacification, you thought, that's exactly why I don't think a lot of my friends, I don't think some of my family members are actually for me. Because they just try to pacify me. They just try to make me happy, right? They don't love me enough to have honest conversations with me. And because of that, I know they're not actually for me. Well, we're going to dive in this morning. We're going to dive into, like I said, Paul's writing. And it comes to us from 1 Corinthians. And this is how he begins speaking to this church in Corinth, speaking to the members of this church in Corinth. He says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul starts off with this question. He says, don't you know that bad people go to the bad place and everyone in the church is nodding their head? Yep, Paul, we get that. In fact, even the people that don't get a church kind of get that, right? If there is something after this life, if there is a life after death, then there's a good place and the bad place and the good people go in one direction and the bad people go in the other direction. So they're all in agreement. Yeah, Paul, we get this. The bad people go to the bad place. Of course they do. That's the only thing that makes sense. 
And Paul says this, do not be deceived. In other words, everyone in that room didn't quite get it. Didn't quite get the truth. You see, Paul was setting them up. He was setting them up because he knew how they would answer the first question. Yes, bad people go to the bad place. But this is what he also knew about them. And this is what he knows about us. It is so easy, it is so easy for the popular opinion to creep into the church. It is so easy for the belief system of the country that you're living in, the morality that the majority of people have decided is the moral way, creeps into the church. And that's what has happened in the church of Corinth. You see, the city of Corinth was kind of like our modern-day Las Vegas. There was a lot of, of sinful behaviors that people had considered normal and acceptable. And when the, the culture, when a country, when a region starts believing that certain behaviors are normal and acceptable, that the natural course, the, the natural process is that that creeps into the church. And that's exactly what had happened to this church. A lot of people in this church in Corinth were behaving in sinful behaviors. And they didn't even realize they were sinful behaviors. In fact, what they, they thought was good was bad. And Paul was trying to tell them, hey, what you think is good is, is actually destroying you. And so he, he does what Paul does. He has certain patterns that he follows and, and he uses when he preaches. And so he's going to do something that he's done in other sections of the Bible, where he's going to just start unveiling this laundry list of sins. Right? He spends his time looking around the entire room, and he's going to make everyone uncomfortable. He's going to make everyone squirm. He's going to make sure that everyone feels a little bit convicted about a lie that they have bought into, about a lifestyle they had been living about something that they thought in their life was going to bring them happiness, and he was going to tell them, hey, this is actually going to bring you destruction. And so he begins on his list, and he says, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, and sodomites. So the Apostle Paul starts with a a list of, of sexual sins that were normalized in that culture. And because they had been normalized in that culture, they were filtering into the church. And the people of the church were actually behaving in this way. And so he begins his list. Now, these aren't words that we really use anymore. In fact, these terms are kind of antiquated. And so I I think it's important to update them a little bit to give you a better context about what we're talking about. And just so you kind of understand my process, what I did is I went back to the original Greek. You see, the the New Testament was written in Greek and then obviously translated through the years into English for us to understand and comprehend and and digest. And so, just so you know, I went back to the original, so we're not going to have some sort of, you know, misrepresentation of what these words mean. And so, Paul starts off with this word, fornicators, which is simply the act of having sex outside of marriage. And so, Paul begins, hey, if, if you're living in this way, this is sinful, And God doesn't actually want you to live this way. You think it's going to bring you joy, but it's actually going to bring you destruction. And he continues, and he uses the word idolaters. Now, idolatry is simply putting anything ahead of God. In fact, if there is a sin that has crept into churches at large in America, 
because of the culture at large in America, it's this right here. Putting things above God. This is so easy to do. I mean, we put our money above God. We put our work above God. We put our spouse and family above God. We put school above God. We'll put sports above God. I mean, it's so easy to do. And Paul says, don't put anything above God. Don't put anything that's temporary above something that's eternal. Now you might be thinking, why does this fit into this list of of sexual sins? How does this, you know, make this list? And what's going on in this culture is the reason Paul puts it with these sexual sins is because in that culture, in Corinth, idol worship was directly correlated to sexuality. You see, what people would do is to honor their gods. They would go to the temple and they would actually perform sexual acts. So Paul's saying is, hey, that type of behavior, putting things before God or even putting other gods before God, this is, this is bad. This is doing damage to your life. Well, he continues down his list. Adulterers, right? Those who are, are having sex outside the covenant of marriage, right? They're being unfaithful to their spouse. He says, stop doing this. This isn't going to bring life to you. This isn't going to bring life to your family. And he goes on and uses the word prostitution, right? Male prostitutes. Now, this is simply, obviously, using sex to earn money. He says, don't do this. This is not what your sexual life was built for. There's something so much better that God has for you. And then he uses the word sodomite, which in the modern language, we would just simply use the word homosexual, right? Those who are engaging in same-sex relationships. And Paul is saying, hey, you might think this is going to bring you joy. You might think this is going to bring you happiness, but you're not going to find the joy. You're not going to find the happiness that God has for you if you behave in this way. Well, Paul continues his list. Thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. So he begins to to point his finger at a lot of financial things at this point in time. He talks about thieves and, and robbers, which are really just a delineation between how people are stealing money. Some people are doing it in the night and secretly. And some people are literally just grabbing people by the throat and saying, give me your money, overpowering them. But he also talks about this general idea of greed, right? Being consumed by things, being consumed by money, that, that all we want is more and more and more and more and more. And then Paul attacks a couple of other issues too. He calls out drunkards, right? Those who are being controlled by liquor. In our modern day context, uh, it would be liquor, drugs, anything that, that we are using like that to cope with life, or to avoid life. He says, this is doing damage to you. You think it's actually giving you some relief? It it actually is destroying you over time. And he says, revilers, which is just those who use abusive language, right? Those who are using their words to tear down and destroy. He says, don't do this. You might think you're getting some advantage, but it is destroying them, and ultimately it will destroy you. And so once Paul has completed this list, Everyone in that church, everyone in that room is uncomfortable. Everyone feels like they've been slapped. Everyone feels like the Apostle Paul is talking directly to them. And that's the point. 
In fact, if he was here this morning, he would continue around the room and he would point at each and every one of you and say, if you aren't on this list, let me tell you what I'm going to add to the list. And he would say something about you. He would say something about the secrets that you have or the sins that you have or the misbehaviors that you have. He would go around this room until everyone, everyone, everyone squirmed. Everyone felt like they were talking directly to him. And it was so intentional. Because listen to what he says next. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He gets really personal. And everyone's thinking, but me, I, I, I'm not good enough. But them, they're not good enough. But I, I have a brother, I have a sister, I have a son, I have a daughter. Wait, Paul, what, what are you saying? That no one is good? There's no good and bad. There's not the good people that go to the good place and the bad people that go to the bad place. And Paul says, no, no, no. Everyone goes to the bad place. Everyone's sinful. No one goes to the kingdom of God. And they're shocked. They don't know what to do. But then Paul brings in the grace. Paul points to the reality that he is for them and God is for them. And this is what he says. And this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed. Paul says, look, you used to define yourself by these sins. You used to define yourself by these behaviors. In fact, some of you right now, you still do, but you're not going to do that anymore. Because why? Because you've been washed. Right? You've been baptized into Christ. Christ has wiped away the sin. He's lifted you above the fray and he has given you a new name. He has given you a new identity. He has given you the primary identity that all these things become so unimportant that you can see them for what they really are, that you can let them go and push them to the past and say goodbye because your identity is in Christ. And he continues, you were sanctified. Now this is a fancy theological term, but, but basically what this means is you are, are moving forward. You have realized that God is for you. You have realized that these things are not for you. They're just going to do damage in your life. They're going to do destruction in your relationships. They're never going to bring you joy. So you've been sanctified. You're moving in a new direction. You're following Christ. You're avoiding the things that he calls sin because he is for you. He loves you and he doesn't want you to struggle in these areas. Then Paul closes out his conversation says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now this word justified, this is, this is a legal term and it means to be considered innocent. Now, why are these people who are bad? Why are all of us who are bad? Why are we considered innocent? It says because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his work on the cross because of his sacrifice for us. And if we have faith in him, we are considered justified. His righteousness covers us. His goodness covers us. And we are considered good, which allows us to go to a good place. We are considered perfect and we get to go live in perfection. Now, as we close up this series, I have one last very significant truth that I want you to hold on to. Something I want you to hold on to for the rest of your life, and it's this. This infinite God that we've been talking about, 
is for you. This infinite God is for you. And that means that every word, every sentence, every paragraph, and every book in the Bible is God's eternal truth for you. And he gave it to you because he loves you. He gave it to you because he is for you. But here's the problem we have in our modern day. You see, people naturally equate how God thinks and acts to how Christians think and act. And the reality is, Christians, we, we haven't been great at this. Christ followers, many times, we're, we're great with the truth, but we're not great with love. So we offer our critiques, we throw our truth out there, and we don't combine it with love. And then we wonder why it falls on deaf ears. And we wonder why it's labeled as hate. And, and the reason is, these words are not spoken from love. They're not received as if we are for people. And here's the reality. If we aren't received as for people, if we aren't really for people, then they will feel hateful. These words will be steamingly filled with hate and destruction. And unfortunately, many times they are. But here's the thing. That's not how Jesus lived. This is not who Jesus was. As disciples of Christ, the whole point is to become more and more like him. And Jesus was for people. In fact, one of my favorite stories about Christ's life was when he called Matthew to be his disciple. Now, the backstory is this. Matthew was a tax collector. And in that day, if you had a reason to hate somebody, you would have a reason to hate a tax collector. Matthew was a, a Jewish guy who paid for the right to take on the role of tax collector, which means he took money from his own people, the Jewish people, and gave it to the invading nation, the invading empire of Rome. That was his job. He paid for the right to do that. Now, why would he pay for the right to do that? Because he would be allowed to overcharge the people and line his pockets to get richer. That's who a tax collector was. And so Jesus goes up to Matthew. And you can just imagine what the crowd is thinking, that Jesus is talking to Matthew. What is he going to do? I bet you he's going to attack him. I bet you he's going to call him out for a sin. But this is what Jesus does. He says, Matthew, come follow me. Come be one of my 12 disciples. And Matthew says, yes. And Matthew is so excited, he throws a party. And Matthew invites all of his friends. And who's the friends of a tax collector? The answer is everyone that no one wants to spend time with other tax collectors, and prostitutes. All the people that the world was unwilling to associate with. The less thans, Those who were alienated. And Jesus goes right into this party. He's with the tax collectors. He's with the prostitutes. And this is, this is prime time Jesus. This is what Jesus did, right? He, he looks at them through eyes of love. And because he loves them. And because they know he loves them. He tells them the truth. So here's another thing I, I really need you to hold on to as we close out this conversation today. If you really want to be a follower of Christ, then you have to follow in Christ's steps. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to be like Christ in our everyday lives. 
So this is what we have to do. As we approach people, as we have hard conversations, as we care for our neighbors and our friends and our family members, we have to be for them to tell them. See, before you tell people what you are for, you have to be for them. You have to lead with love. In fact, there's another truth connected to this statement. The other truth is this. If you are for them, you will tell them. See, if you're really for someone, you tell them the truth. And if they know you are for them, they will hear you. So as you live your life and you watch the world's ever-changing morality shift and change, and you watch people and, and you watch them seek for love and joy in places where they won't find them, as you see people's lives fall apart, you lead with love. Lead with love. Be for them. Look at them through the eyes of love. And once you can do that, then you tell them. 